Lord, I would ask that you get Brother Sam out of the way, whatever you have laid upon his heart, that you would allow him to communicate it to us loud and clear, that it could encourage us, that it could cause us to examine our walk with you. Lord, I pray that you would give Sam the energy that he needs to share his heart with us. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would be able to concentrate, put all of our, our distractions and our worries aside so that we could focus on what you have laid upon this brother's heart to share with us this morning. Lord, I just pray this in Son's name. Amen. Amen. Loud won't be the problem. Clear might be a hard to understand. We'll get the loud out anyway. Good morning. Anybody have anything special happening in this week? I mean, I don't know why when I ask that, but I mean, did anybody have something special? God touched you in a, in a, in a special way? Or?
Sometimes he just comes over and we just sit and we just play cards or we just talk and he spends a lot of time with me. That's what he's done for me. I want to ask you this. What have you done for the one that you that has taken the fall for you? I want to talk to you this morning what the Bible says about preparedness. It seems to me this is a subject that the church has forgotten about. It is like the church has been waiting for the second coming of Christ for so long that we think we have tomorrow. We talk about the blood and the forgiveness of sins. And this is true. It is a good thing. We also talk a lot about the resurrection in Christ and the, His defeat of death. And that's a good thing. But we do not talk much about the second coming. Now I'm not talking about the chronological time and all the signs and if the second coming is closer or what all the signs are about. I'm talking about when it happens. Are you prepared? You see, it's going to happen one of two ways. Either the sky will split, the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Or, when we die, we will go and meet Jesus Christ face to face. Are you prepared? Most of us just thought, well, I asked Jesus to forgive me and come into my heart and life. Isn't that all I need to do? Well, let's see, because see, I'm not talking about our salvation. I am talking about us meeting Christ and answering for our obedience, our choices, our actions, and our decisions. You see, our salvation in life is our position, and that position will never change. But how about our practice? You see, if we have signed a contract with a football team and the contract is never ending and we will always be the, the tight end, that position will never change. But the practice will not only change daily, but it will require some things of us. We need to show up. We need to practice. We will determine by our practice, by how well we pray, play on Sunday game. And come Monday, we will answer to the coach what happened. Let me see if this will help us. When I confess that I was a sinner and asked Jesus to forgive me and then ask him into my life, I signed a contract. And the contract says he is my Lord and my Savior. <coughs> And that cannot change. But that I am and I will answer for showing up to practice every day. Now confessing Jesus as my Lord and Savior also means this. He is my boss. That's hard to take. Because of the freedom we now have in this country and the, and the ideal that we all have our rights and, 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 and this one has their rights and that one has their rights. And we live in a country where we can express ourselves. Jesus is boss. 
Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit does not need us to agree with him. Let me see if I can help you with the pecking order of us and God. God does not ask, and God does not need to ask. And you do not have to agree or like or even want to. I called Steve last week, and we talked, and he said he was going to try and preach. Then he said, but if I can't, you be prepared. After we hung up the phone, I noticed something. And really, it made me feel great. I want you to know this. He did not ask. He did not say if you have the time. He did not say if you don't mind. He did not say if you want to. He said you need to be prepared to preach. End of discussion. Our relationship with God is the same. Depending where you are when you're reading the Bible, you are referred to as either being a child or a slave. Either one, one response is required. Yes. Let's see if we can look back into the Old Testament and, and see some examples. The first thing that comes to mind is Genesis 6, 13 through 22. There we go. It said, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind and of the animal after their kind and every creeping thing in the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food, which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. Now the view we are taught that day in, in, in today's society, especially, you know, if you get on them TV preachers where they want to tell you how prosperous God wants you to be, and, you know, he just wants you to have everything your way, and he's just here to be your good friend and your buddy and your pal. There's some things missing from this story. God did not ask Noah if he had time. God did not ask Noah if he would mind building his ark. God didn't ask Noah what he thought. He didn't even ask Noah if he thought he ought to put in another deck or maybe an extra window. No. God commanded Noah to do this. 
build the ark. And Noah did two things. He said, yes, Lord. And verse 18 said, Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did it. Now some, not the ones he thought was important, not the ones he agreed with, not the parts he had time for, Noah said very clearly, and he did it all. And the results were awesome. Because see, when the sky broke and the rain fell, Noah was prepared. And he was prepared for only one reason. He did all the Lord had told him to. And the result of him being prepared, he and his family were saved. One thing saved Noah. And we need to understand it was not the ark. It was the obedience to do what God had commanded him to do. We need to understand this. God does not give commands so he can be boss. He gives us commands so that we can be prepared for what is to come. Are you preparing for something God has warned you will come? Have you not seen that it is the second coming? Whether it is by the sky splitting or you dying, God is saying, I have certain things for you to do for you to be prepared. Let's just go one more step into the Bible and go to Moses in the tabernacle. We go to Exodus 25, 8-9. It reads, Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them, according to all that I am going to show you as a pattern of the tabernacle and a pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. Then we can see again in, in verse 25 it says, See that you make them after the pattern for them which was shown to you on the mountain. And again in Exodus 26.30, Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to its plans which you have been shown in the mountain. We have three times God telling Moses he wanted the tabernacle constructed just as he was shown. Now we could read chapter 25 and 26 in Exodus and how God wanted the tabernacle constructed and all the details, but we'd all just get bored and I'd get tongue-tied. But take my word for it, nowhere will you see God asking Moses for his advice. Or if he agrees with it. Or even if he has any ideals. God is once again being one thing, Lord. He is giving Moses commandments and he expecting one thing, just one thing, for Moses to carry those out. The command, just the same as he expected it out of Noah. Now once again, does it really make any difference just what was the people preparing for? Oh, they did not know, but they were preparing for the most awesome sight they would ever see. You see, they had heard God. We find that in Exodus 20, 18, and 19. It said, All the people perceived the thunder and the flashing lights and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, 
But let not God speak to us or we will die. They had heard God. And his voice alone scared them. They had heard the trumpets and the thunder and had seen the lightning and the smoke and felt the earth shake. But what they were going to see, they had to be prepared for. There was work involved. There was commands involved. God wanted certain things done and God wanted them done one way. The way he had commanded them. Then in Exodus chapter 40, we could read all of it and see Moses put the tabernacle together piece by piece, just as God had instructed him. But we will just read verses 33 and 34. 33 says, He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled temple. Wow. Can you imagine that? They had spent years preparing for one thing. To see the glory of God. Can you imagine God coming and sitting down in the middle of your community? You see, they called this the Shekinah glory. It was the visible majesty of the divine presence especially when west resting or dwelling between the cherubim on the mercy seat in the tabernacle. God had come and sit among his people. Not from the mountaintop, not from the sky. He sat among them. Now some just thought, but you know, Sam, that's really great, but all that's Old Testament stuff. You know, all of it's Old Testament stuff. Well, let's see. Let's just sort of go over to the New Testament. And let's see what Jesus has to say. Let's see what the book has to say. Are we supposed to follow commands given us by Jesus like Noah and Moses did? And if we are, what's the purpose? I mean, as, as, as Mark said, you're forgiven. So now what's the purpose? I'm forgiven. What's the big deal? Why can't I do what I want to do? When I want to do it, how I want to do it, why I want to do it. God's forgiven me. So what's the deal? Matthew 26, 63 and 64. It said, but Jesus kept silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Wow. Here, like Noah and like Moses, we have Jesus telling us about things we have never seen, but will see. Mark 14, 61, 62 put it this way. But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. I want to ask you something. 
Are you prepared for it? Are you really prepared for it? Have we obeyed the commands given us? Have we heard God say, build me an ark, and we have decided that we will have time to build it tomorrow? Have we heard God from the mountaintop and decided to build the temple later? Do we dare tell God that we will not have time? That we will do it later? Or not now, or even, I can't even do that. Do we dare defy God on heaven and earth? Or is it simply we believe in Jesus, but we are not too sure about this second coming? And we will go through a, through a few of the commands that the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God himself tells us. And let us be honest with ourselves. What is our reply to God? But you know what is more important is what is God's reply to us? Now we're going to start with the softest ones. And we're going to move to the hardest. So if you think it's going to get easier, no, the test is going to get tough. Every question will be a little worse than the first one. So please, do not think it's going to get easier. But first, question. I would like to read you this verse for those of us that really believe we have nothing to do and we can just live however we please, doing whatever we please, whenever we please. In fact, let's read two of them. Luke 13, 24 says, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. The word strive here means to make an effort, to use exertion, to endeavor with earnesty, to labor hard. I feel pretty safe to say strive and prepare runs side to side. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Where it says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. I want to ask you something. Can you imagine standing before Jesus Christ naked with nothing to show except for our excuses? Can we imagine standing before Christ unprepared? Or can we imagine standing before Christ and saying, well, really, all I was interested in was getting to heaven. So I just did the least that I thought I could do and get by. So none of my building on your foundation made it through the fire. As I said, we are going to go through a few commands and see how we are doing with them. Let's go to the first of the book of 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, actually handling the Word of God. Now, the, new King, now the King James Version 
puts it a little differently, and I'm sure some of you will remember this. It says study to show yourself approved. Now, most of us have problems reading the one chapter he gave us. Right? Let alone studying it. I mean, after all, God needs to understand some things. First, I have my TV programs. They're important to me. God needs to understand that. God needs to understand I, I'm on Facebook. And what I, I want to say is important and everybody needs to be able to read it. I am important. And then, of course, last of all, I have my cell phone. I mean, I, I have to talk and text and write and, and read and, 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 and call and, you know. I have other things, God, I have to do besides read and study. I know you commanded it. I know you did not ask me to. I know you did not ask me if I had time to. I know you did not ask me if I wanted to. I know you told me to. But Lord, you need to understand. But see, God is really saying, don't you understand? I have commanded you to read and study my word so that you will be prepared. Why don't they understand that this is not just a suggestion but a command? Why are they treating it so lightly like it is really not important? Like they will only do it if they have time. Well, since we obviously didn't like that one and that one didn't go over too good, let's go on to the next one. Because it's going to get rougher. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembly together, as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is a command that has somehow seemed to be put on the back burner. If I'm not doing anything this Sunday, I'll go to church. <clears throat> Now, if I have company, well, God's just going to have to step aside. Instead of bringing the company, I'll stay with the company. Or how about this one? The ball game is going to start before church service might end, and I don't want to miss my favorite team. God will understand. I mean, after all, I can watch the services now on TV right when I get time. On my time schedule, when I don't have anything else to do, when the football game's over, the next time we get this urge to say, I don't want to go to church, I want you to do yourself a favor. Pretend Jesus just knocked on your door and said, Hey, come on, let's go to church. And then I want you to look him straight in the eye and give him your excuse for not going. <clears throat> Explain to him why we know the command 
We know we're supposed to be at church. We know the Bible says to be here. Explain to him why you have chosen not to obey it. See how well it goes over. Okay, we'll keep moving up the ladder because these ain't going too good. I tell you that right now. Luke 14, 26. Jesus said this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now this is tough. But what is this saying in country terms? Really simple. Jesus has to be first. Christ is saying he must be first. He will not settle for less than what he commands. Now we could go on with this, but I just want to kind of mix these two together because we're going to jump right up on another rung in the ladder in Matthew 5.30 because it says if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And we can also read the same meaning in Matthew 18, 8, Mark 9, 43, and 45. But I'm just going to put to this in country terms. Separate yourself from your sin. You see, we have a problem. And it's called sin. But we also have a larger problem. And that is separating ourselves from our sins. Because if the truth is known, we like our sin. We do not want God to take away our sins. We want God to help us manage our sins so we don't sin so much. So that way we can feel better about ourselves. You know, God, I, 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 don't, I don't want to drink all the time. I just want to drink on Friday night. I don't want to watch that, that pornography all the time. I just, I just want to do it sometimes. I don't want to watch that show on TV that I shouldn't be having my eyes on. But, Lord, I, I just won't watch it on some nights. Yeah, you, you, you know, God, can you help me manage this? I don't want to give it up. I don't want to separate from it. I just want you to manage it for me. Bad news. If I read my Bible correctly, God ain't in the managing business. That's simple. We do not like the command to cut it off. But I wonder how we would feel if before we could sin, we had to ask Jesus this. Would you mind just taking one more strike for me? Just one more strike. Just one more lash. Or how about hang just one more minute? Just because, Lord, I, I would like my sin. You see, this is a command, not a suggestion. This is not if we don't mind, please don't do that. Lying is lying, stealing is stealing, and adultery is adultery. 
Sin is still sin, and the same God that died for those sins also says, Now separate yourself from them. This is one I don't know about you, but I struggle with, and I really hope that you do not think you don't struggle with it. Sin is attractive. You don't think it isn't attractive? Read Genesis. Oh, when she looked at the fruit, it was attractive. Well, I do not know about you, but these are getting tough. But let's go ahead and pour ourselves up one more rum and see where we stand. Luke 6, 27 and 28. It says, But I, and that is Jesus, say to you, Here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now notice some words here are missing. They have to be. There has to be some words here missing. Jesus did not say if you don't mind or would you please. Or even hey I got a great idea. No he just said what I say. You know I've heard people say God said it. I believe it and that settles it. I want you to know if you ever hear that you can tell them that's a lie. God said it, and that settles it, and it really doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Your believing it will not make it any truer. This is Jesus giving us another command and no excuse. No excuse not to love your enemy. No excuse not to bless your enemy. No excuse not to pray for your enemy. And I need you to understand this. No excuse you have will be acceptable. In fact, let's look at one more verse before we go any further because we find in Mark 11, 25 and 26. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. The command forgive, the command is laid out very simple. Forgive. Now it does not say forgive them if we can. No, it says forgive. It does not say if with please, I am asking you to forgive them. It is not saying if it will make us feel good. This is not a good ideal or a good way to be happy in our your life. You know, we get that now, you know, that you need to forgive others so that you feel better. Jesus said forgive others because I commanded it. Now I have had people tell me I can't forgive them. You do not know what they've done. Oh, okay, so now we're saying God wrote this command for everyone but us. We're special. We have been hurt like nobody else has been hurt. Really, come on. 
Do we really think that we are so special or pain is so much more than Jesus and what we did to him that he is going to say, I understand. You have a great excuse. Do we really think the God that spoke creation into existence, the God that hung on the cross, the God that gave the command is going to say that it is okay? I understand why you chose not to forgive. I have had people say that I can forgive them. I just do not want anything else to do with them. Or I just can't stand to be around them. Really. And this is what we call forgiveness? I'm going to read you a verse out of the Bible before I give you my next thought on it. Because in Matthew 12, 37, it says this. For by your word you will be justified, and by your word you will be condemned. What are you going to do when the days comes and you stand in front of Christ and he looks at you and says, I can forgive you, but I just don't want anything else to do with you. I can forgive you, but I just can't stand to be around you. I can forgive you, but what are you going to do when Jesus Christ uses your own words on you? What are you going to do? Now there are two more I want to discuss with you and we will put them together and most of us probably already know what they are. But let's look at them just the same and read them just the same. It's Matthew 22, 37 and 40. Alice probably could re re recite it. It says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend the whole law and the prophets. Now we really do not need to go into much detail on these. And we won't. But we do need to look at the word love. In the Greek it is agape. It is a moral love, a sacrificial love. It is a John 3, 16 love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It is a giving love, not a receiving love. It is not about feelings. It is about action or reaction to something. Now let's get a little real with each other for a second. If we are really keeping these two commandments then we are more than likely not having any problem reading and studying our words. We're having no problem attending church every Sunday. Every time the door is open. And of course we always keep God first. And we stay so far away from sin that sin's lost us. We love our enemies and we forgive everyone. Now, I want you to understand something. I deliberately use a lot of plural pronouns in here. Because I don't want anyone to feel like I was pointing a finger. So if you heard I or me, you might want to check out your conscience. I want to tell you a story of what conscience can do. When I was at UCI, me and a friend of mine used to go and we would preach together. And one of the inmates came up to my, my friend Randy and he said, man, he said, I just don't like it when Sam preaches. And Randy said, why? He said, he's always shaking his finger at me. 
Randy said, I had to laugh. He said, then I looked at him and said, you know, I've never seen Sam shake his finger when he preached. It's amazing what the conscience can cause you to hear. Most of the time, it causes you to hear what you need to hear. Now, I want you to know something. And you might find this hard to believe. This was not a sermon of condemnation. This was a sermon of confession about me. You see, I struggle. I struggle to read my Bible every day. I struggle to study it every day. I struggle to always want to come to church. There's those Sundays I want to lay in bed. There's those Sundays I say, well, I can watch it on TV. I sometimes get myself so far ahead of God that he has to grab me by the shirt collar and snatch me back. Because the only things that become important are what I want. I always seem to be having problems staying far enough away from my sin where it can't touch me. I have a really hard time dealing with my enemies. Do you remember when Steve asked us one Sunday here, he said, what would you do if a group of people got together to stone you like they did Stephen? I said, I'd probably pick up one of the rocks and throw it back. Well, that's not exactly what God commanded us to do, is it? See, I have problems with that. There are times I'm hurt bad enough that I have to work on forgiving someone and praying my way through it. It doesn't just come automatically. Let us read one more verse of the Bible and figure out who we are and who we really are. Well, maybe two. Luke 18 through 10 through 14 will read this way. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now I am sure that someone thought that Jesus might be Lord, but you need to remember, he's my friend. He's my friend. He's my pal. He's my buddy. Well, then one last verse. With one last command. From our Lord and our Savior. John 15, 14. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. You a friend of Jesus? Yes. Are you a true friend of Jesus? Because he says, if you are my friend, you do what I command you. Not what you have time for. Not what you want to put forth. Not what you agree with. 
But what he tells us. Because no matter what we like about it or not, he is boss. And that's hard for us to take sometimes. When God says don't, he means don't. When God says do, he means do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, creator of heaven and earth, I thank you. I thank you for this message, as hard as it was. I thank you that I know, Lord, that my, my practice and my positions are two different things. That I can never lose my position with you. You will always be my Lord, you will always be my Savior, and I will always be your child. And I thank you that you just tell me to show up for practice every day and do better today than I did yesterday and do better tomorrow than I did today. But keep practicing. Keep striving. Keep struggling. Keep working. Keep going. Father, I ask that you bless these people today. That Lord, as we go home and go about our own ways and, and some of us will go to eat out, some of us will go home to eat and, and Lord, that you would bless our families. That you would bless them spiritually and physically. That, Lord, you would even bless them financially. Lord, I pray that there is one here who has not made you Lord and Savior. That today they would. That they would come to realize that they need to be prepared. Because there is a time coming. A time that the sky will split. The bugle will sound. And the dead in Christ will raise. There is a time coming. Help us prepare for that time. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.